Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. Please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Good morning. How are you, Sarah? I'm well. How are you? Good. I am. I can't believe we're winding down this. I was book. just going to say that. It's crazy. We have two more chapters. It's after this. Yeah. After this, it's crazy. Okay. So today is chapter 14, Empowering Ourselves, which, you know, to me, this chapter, first of all, it's very long, but it really is speaking to the work we're actually doing in our personal lives. So I really read it like, absorbed a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think? First off, starting off, I want to just say what she says here at the beginning in writing about, and this is Nancy Verrier, of course, Mm -hmm. the primal wound for those on YouTube. Here it is. In writing about the primal wound, I wanted to reiterate that the original trauma is abandonment as experienced by the child. The problem is not adoption. Right. I'm glad she clarified that. Me too, because that gets into a whole thing we discuss. Adoption has attempted with greater or lesser degrees of success to be the solution to a problem, the problem of unplanned pregnancies. This is assuming, of course, that adoption is seen as an institution which which seeks parents for babies who have to be separated from their first mothers and not as an institution which seeks babies for childless couples. Yes. We must keep this clear. Yes. Yes. She's such a good writer, too. It's like. She really is. Yeah. So what, continuing on, what did you think right at the start of this chapter? Well, also where it says the wound affects adoptees all of their lives and greatly impacts their relationships with others as they go through the life cycle. A lot of this like just made me think back over the years and my relationship and just not having any of this knowledge again, you know, I say this every episode, but just how life-changing it would have been if I'd read this at a different point in life or if my if my adoptive mom had read it or anybody that was like close to me in my life that would have a better Becker's dad, you know, that would have a better understanding of oh what made gosh. me tick, you know, yeah. rather than just, Oh, mm-hmm. you've got intimacy issues. Or I remember my mom saying to me once, if you walked into a room and there were 500 men, 499 of them were available, you'd choose that 500 that wasn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, we can laugh about it, but yeah, there was like, a reason. <laughs> there's a reason. And and now we're understanding the reasons. I know I had the same experience with people I was in relationships with. I wish they had this knowledge and I had this knowledge to have a healthier relationship because something she talks about in here, which is probably jumping around a little, is how we blow it up. We blow mm-hmm. something up. We're self-sabotagers. So you'll be going along in a pretty decent relationship with someone who knows nothing about your past traumas or, and I didn't even know what they were. And then all of a sudden you're sabotaging it because you're not good enough underneath. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And yeah, it's you when don't you feel get, worthy. You don't feel worthy. And it's when you get intimate that this happens, not like the beginning when it's kind of easy. And I was thinking a lot about my ex-husband or a boyfriend in high school or college and I'm like, geez, I wish I could go back and say, sorry, this is the issue here. <laughs> Not that they didn't have their issues, by the way. Got right. A whole <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they were probably drawn to me for those issues. And I was drawn to them. Yeah. It's that unworthiness. And like, what I like about this chapter is like giving solutions to challenge the belief, you know, I was yes. unwanted. Therefore, I am unworthy. 
you know, which is exactly the line, right? Yes. There was something she said about holding the baby. Do you remember that? She said for anybody. Oh yeah. Challenge this belief to hold a baby and ask yourself how bad you think a baby can be. Yeah. Hold the baby is, can this baby be so bad that I have to throw it away? Is it so unwanted? And kind of say that was me. Am I that like, that's not, you have to make yourself, she said, you have to, this takes effort, commitment, and energy to heal being the victim role and to heal going forward. Like you actually have to make a conscience effort because it's mm-hmm. not who we are. It's behavior. Yes. Behavior is different than personality, which uh, she's a therapist that helped me understand. Like just because you're feeling vulnerable, you do these things. That's actually not your personality. is a great thing. You are who you are. You're amazing but the behavior can be modified. It just takes a lot of work. Well, then she said, even if act as if, right? Because even if you can't afford yes. to get the therapy you need or yes. but just start acting as if that yep. you feel that you're worthy and act as if you're not a victim, all that stuff, you know, it's that's cognitive behavior, really. And you and I talked about that, how we in talking to ourselves positively and how we change behavior is you know, if we'll say something negative, let's not say that about ourselves. We have to yes. say a positive thing. And, and also owning up, she said, you have to also own up in your, your issues and say, because some people do use the victim role as, well, I don't have to succeed. There's some drama attached, she said. Drama, can, yes. So they're, I like that. Acting out is exciting. I can't help it is the way we put it. Well, we yeah. can't help the feelings exactly, but we can help the behavior, you, you know, help the behavior. And then it helps you with someone you're in a relationship with. I have that with my husband now where I'll be like, okay, I'm retreating. And she says, look inward. Is this a normal retreat? Like, is this a reason you should be retreating? So I'll stop at myself and literally be like, why am I doing this? And I'll say to my husband, okay, I need a minute. Cause I'm doing some sabotaging here. And he's like, oh, so glad you're reading the <laughs> yeah, because it helps. It makes me actually stop and take a look at things. Like, why am I doing that? And I just think it's an amazing book. I mean, just everything I've gained from this podcast as well. I should put a disclaimer on my dating profile. Adopted. <laughs> Read the primal wound if you want Ad- to get involved. Adopted, but going through the work. Yeah, adopted, but going through the work. <laughs> She also vaccinated, comma, this, comma, <laughs> adopted, but going through the work. Vaccinated. <laughs> that makes me laugh. I actually saw holiday ornaments you could buy online, which is a digression with people with little masks on. It says, we're vaccinated. And you put your names. I'm like, who would hang this on your tree? Do we really now need? I almost got them to be funny for people, but I don't want to spend the money. Because oh, it's so funny. really, do we have to remember this with a fondness of a Christmas ornament? <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> she also gets into the birth mother is going to have all this shame and trauma or, as well. Yes. I, I like her the way she broke mm-hmm. down the difference between shame and guilt too. Yes. You know, that where is that section? I think it's right. Uh, 183. She says something about that. She needs to. Yeah. Birth mothers are not immune from this kind of belief system because they gave up a child. Many birth mothers consider themselves bad mothers, undeserving of having another child or unable to be good mothers to their own children. This belief persists regardless of circumstances. And so she says, you know, if we have lives of regret, like think of all the mistakes we made and you're young. Most people are pretty young when this happens. Mm -hmm. 
And when you give up a baby, that was the situation you were in and you have to forgive yourself for it to grow. And she says, that's probably the hardest thing is just knowing that's not me. That's my situation. That right. Controlled it. Right. But that's got to be hard. I mean, we've heard from birth mothers how hard it is. So, you know, and then it's, uh, then she goes on to, you know, acknowledgement and then the mourning, the loss, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that, that can be at any point in life, you know, if you didn't, get to that earlier in life, then it's, you know, whenever it is, but at some point needing to mourn that loss. Yeah. In all aspects of the triad. I'm just learning a lot about mourning myself. And I, I take time to mourn now. I think I used to, as we all do, probably in our culture, brush over feelings of that. Now I try to sit with it and go, you know, I'm sad today. It's okay to be sad, sad for ourselves too. You know, we were a little baby or sad for things we wish we had known then or not. And you can take time to mourn and, and reflect on it. And it's okay to be sad because you actually get better by looking at it directly, mm-hmm. which is not easy, obviously, for anybody to do. No. Um, one thing she said that I liked how she involved herself in this, because every so often you get a glimpse into Nancy. She said she was reaching out here this part. In the beginning, before I understood what was going on with my own daughter, I definitely used to react to her and not respond maturely. Yes. I thought of adopted parents in this situation. Mm-hmm. It's only reinforced her faulty beliefs about herself rather than challenging them and helping her heal. I was reacting from my own hurt inner child rather than being the mature adult when I promised to be a good parent. That's Which for is, all parents. Yes. <laughs> and we, we talked about that in chapter 13 too. There were, we had that discussion in our last chapter review about yeah, being an adult. Being an adult. Had to, we've had to do it. I mean, all mothers have to do this and fathers is be mm-hmm. the adult to your kids. Like, you're not the buddy. You're not the kid suffering. You have to be the adult. And it's not an easy thing to do when there's pain involved coming at you. Not at all. And when you think about often in this baby scoop era, for example, like my parents were 23 when they yeah. adopted me. I mean, it's that's my son's th- age. To have that kind of emotional maturity to be able to do that, I just so I barely have that emotional maturity. And <laughs> right, right. we didn't have our sons until later. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I know I was almost 30 and it was not easy. It was still very difficult. Well, and then she gets into a whole bu- a whole bunch of things on like actually like the breaking down of everything, which you and I probably should not do on the podcast because it's a lot of stuff, but yeah, it's, well, it's just the, the barriers to integration where she goes into fear, highly recommend this book again, oh to my people. God. the guilt and shame. These are all barriers to like getting better. Yeah. And one of the things I thought that I do want to bring up because I'm just looking at it now, I thought it was interesting about how people need to find their spiritual selves again. Yes. That, and that doesn't always mean religion. So we're not preaching that that could be your nature connection, whatever God or nature is to you. But she says the reason people don't is because of the moral judgment. Exactly. Like, well, if there was a God, how could he have all these babies being taken away from their mothers? Yes. And then also the, she talks about how religion can exercise a moral control over people too. So it's like, oh, you should feel shame and bad. But she's like, that's not God. That's not spirituality. That's That's humans controlling people. People controlling people. And I thought that was neat because we've had guests on our show who have found their spirituality again. And, you know, I think it's important just from that point of view to kind of say, you're not a bad person on any side of this. There's no judgment. Right. 
That's yeah, big. Very big. It's a healing. We're into the healing now, which is great. We're finally into the healing, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> Gosh, next chapter, it's going to be the, the conclusions. Part four will be I on, can't so. believe it. I can't believe it. Just a, f- just a couple more chapters, listeners, and then we'll be moving on to another book, which we will discuss. Uh, yes, we will. And we're going to yes. have a really a cool wrap-up finale with a good guest. And we have some awesome guests left in this book. So yes, I'm excited. So, let's let's get to our guest. Let's get this to our guest. Yay. Exciting. It is. Okay. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I had talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show. Hi, I'm just going to break in here. As a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out Frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast and in seeing how adoptees find their people. I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon's support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than bi-weekly. Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work, either once or in an ongoing way, simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption colon the making of me. Thank you all each in your own way for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts. Hello. So here we are with our guest. We met her because the three of us were sort of, I guess you would call us panelists or interviewees on a live streaming show and just connected with her and really excited to hear her story. So I will introduce Rachel Atiemo Obeng. Welcome. Oh, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. We're so excited. I'm excited too. I'm so glad I got to meet you. Other show connected. So it's awesome. So you're obviously you were adopted. How old were you? Where were you? Like, what's your story? So I was just a baby when I was adopted. And I was born in Detroit in Southfield, which is like a suburb of Detroit. And I was adopted through Lutheran adoptions. and. Oh, nice. And parents are from Midland, Michigan, which is about two hours or so north of Detroit. And they were unable to have 
children of their own. So they decided to adopt. So first, my brother was actually adopted. He was also adopted from the same agency and then did me. And we're both from the same area. We're not related by blood, but we're both from the Detroit area. And what, your brother, was he younger or older? And how did that come about? He was all baby. For him, he already had, like, his biological parents already had children, but they were unfortunately not able to take care of him when he was born. So they put him up for adoption. So how was your life growing up? Like, did you know you were adopted? Was it talked about in your family? I can remember I was like five or six. I was in the hallway and was like dressed in my ballet leotard. I must have like, I I can see it in my mind, you know, (laughs) I must have like just gotten done with ballet or going to ballet. But I remember my mom talking to me about it and saying, you know, you're a dog, kind of explaining it in a way that I could understand as, you know, a five, six year old. And I was just kind of like, okay, like, (laughs) you know, it's when you're that, it's just like, oh, okay. But then like, as I got old, talked about it more and they had told me that they were going to give me the information, like all my paperwork and everything when I turned 18. But me being the little detective that I am, searching for it. And I found it in the basement in a safety deposit box, like all of my information, including a photo of my biological mother. Wow. And yeah. How, how old were you when you found this? Maybe like 13. Yeah. In middle school, like middle school age. Mm-hmm. And I found the address to where they lived. I wrote them letters and I, I didn't hear anything back from them, but, you know, I wrote them a few letters just like about who I was and <laughs> I don't even remember what I, yeah, I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was, you know, thinking about them. And did your parents know that you did that? No. Okay. They did did they still know. in hindsight now, do you know that they got these letters or did they even live there at the time? They got the letters I actually was able to find them on my grandmother reached out to me through Facebook in 2010. And she told me that they had gotten the letters, but they didn't know how to respond to them. It was like a shock to them, obviously. I mean, (laughs) unexpected to have, you know, to receive those kinds of letters. But she said they cried. My biological mother and her cried. And it was just really emotional. And they just know how to respond. So they did it. So and how long was it from the time you sent the letters until she reached out to you on Facebook? Years. Oh, many. So years. you went all these years with nothing mm-hmm. until you many, get a Facebook message. Yep. Since you've known them now, did they feel that they would have disrupted your life or because you're young that they weren't supposed to contact you or that, were they just more like, oh my God, in shock? They're in shock. And I think also the thing is like nobody else in the family even knows that I exist. Awesome. So I'm kind of the family secret. So I was born, my biological mother, her name is Wendy. She went to a home for girls who, you know, get pregnant. And like she had the baby like in the hospital with just my grandmother and one other person. And nobody else in the family even knew that it happened. So how old was she? She was in her early 20s. And so you were like, are you still the family secret? As far as I know, probably to some, but I did reach out to other family members that I found on Facebook. I reached out to great uncle, my grandbrother, mm-hmm. and we talked for a little bit. And then 
out to my biological mother who was on Facebook and I had reached out to her prior, but she had denied that that was her. But then I was like, I know this is you. This is obviously you. That's when she was like, okay, let's talk on email. And it just did not go well. Like she was very hostile to me. Really? Yeah. She's like, you have your own family. Why are you bothering my family? How dare you contact my uncle? She was just very hostile. She also, you know, made it known that she was raped and that's how I was conceived. Wow. Oh my gosh. So there's a lot of trauma there mixed in for sure. That must have made you feel, how did you feel hearing that? You know, it was really bad. Like I was devastated because I just, in my mind, I envisioned like this great reunion where I got to meet, you know, my mother and she, she greeted me with open arms, you know, but that's just not how it went. And she was very angry that I had reached and that was very hurtful to me. I was actually like, I was at work when I received these emails from her and like my coworkers, they knew my story and everything. And they're like surrounding me, hugging me. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry. Has anything changed since then? My grandmother, she has stopped talking to me. I have not heard from her since 2010. Like the emails stopped. I actually got a lot of information about like who I am and like who the family is from our email correspondence. And that's just, that stopped. My uncle stop following me on Facebook. It's kind of like Wendy shut it down. You know, like she just was like, no, no more. I don't know what to them, but the contact is, it's done. Like it's, there's no contact anymore. So I was going to say they probably, your grandmother probably wanted the relationship with you since she gave you so much at the beginning and talked to you and then was told, eh, stop. Do you have siblings? I know that my, that Wendy, she has two kids from, I don't know if they're married. I think they're, she's married. I'm not sure if they're her biological children or if they're her partner's previous marriage, but I know that she has two kids. Wow. Have you gone on Ancestry DNA? I've done the DNA. I haven't really found like close relatives, just like, you know, distant, distant cousins. Like <laughs> Not really anyone who's, you know, that close. But it's kind of cool just to do ancestry, just to see like your lineage, your background. And yeah, I found out a lot about myself. I'm basically like, I'm like half of Africa (laughs) and (laughs) Irish and British. And wow, I wonder, how do you feel about your biological dad? Because that's a whole ballgame then. It's like a different playing field for this situation like if you found him or if he came up on ancestry or or do you know anything about him i mean or do you want to know anything about him i guess that's a loaded question i really don't know i don't know anything about him i don't know if i ever will i'm interested in knowing that side of the family because like just looking at there's of wendy's side of the family they look dif- like i have some of the characteristics like i look a lot like her mm-hmm. but as far as like skin tone goes, they're like lighter. And so like the, my father's side must've been, you know, dark because I'm kind of like, I don't know, in between, I don't know. So it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. It's I'm interested to know like what they look like, like what characteristics I got from them. And another cool thing is my other, she was a special needs teacher for 10 years. And I didn't know that I started working with needs children in 2009 and that's what I got, have my master's in is applied behavior analysis, working with children with autism. 
which wow. is really cool. It's like, you know, it's in my blood. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. That's Finding so that bizarre. stuff out of us. Gosh, that's really neat. I was a teacher actually. And, and when I went to be a teacher, my adopted mom told me, you know, your biological mom was in school to be a teacher and she was yep. also a teacher. Like, why didn't you tell me this? Aww. She's like, you know, we wanted to see what you would become, but that's a weird, it's, uh, it's how that strange. works out. Yes. <laughs> Rachel, you said that your records were in a safety deposit box. So I'm guessing Michigan did not have the stringent rules that other states had. Cause we only, Louise and I both only had non-identifying information. Yeah. So it seems like your parents had all the information was it. And it was through Lutheran children's services, right? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Uh, uh, Michigan must have Sarah. had yeah. more lenient laws. Yeah, there is a lot of information in there, including like my background, like heritage, but doing the ancestry, like it didn't really match up, which is funny. But yeah, that was all in the address. As I said, a photo of Wendy that she had given the agency and that wanted me to have, which is, I think that's very sweet. She actually named my birth name was Rachel, Rachel Elaine Gillespie. And my parents decided to keep it. So I think that's special too. Yeah, I do too. I like that. Well, and obviously, I mean, at that time she did care and she did want you to know who she was and stuff, but I'm sure just, you know, the trauma, like she had to seal off something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And that's like, at first I was upset, but then thinking about it, I'm like, wow, she's really hurt. She has a lot of hurt that she hasn't healed. And obviously, like, I'm a trigger to that, you know, so I can't really like, yes, the things that she said to me, they weren't, you know, necessary, nor were they kind. But at the same time, it's like, it's not has nothing to do. It's just her, you know, deflecting her pain Mm -hmm. and her hurt not healed. So I can understand that. That takes an incredible amount of healing on your own part to be able to see that and not internalize it, not feel bad. I mean, it sounds like you're a really strong, healthy, passionate, healthy person. I have a lot of, that's just amazing. I have a lot of respect for you for that. I don't think most people would ever would be able to do that. You know? No, I don't either. I think a lot of people have, have a lot of deep anger and triggers from that themselves. And here's another thing. Sarah and I were speaking to a a woman recently that we interviewed from Ancestry. And she said, you know, sometimes it just takes time too. Mm -hmm. You never know as people soften and age and maybe she gets the therapy she needs or you just never know. I mean, it's probably a long shot, but. (laughs) I mean, you never know. She could, she could come back around or a sibling might want to reach out to you or, you know, something like that. So did you ever end up telling your parents about the letters you'd sent and the contact you had and all of that? I did. And, you know, they were okay with it. I think they were kind of shocked that I actually found everything. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't understand the investigative powers of a doctor. I was going to say, (laughs) we just keep hearing this over and over and over. (laughs) Right. And it's funny because like when I did turn 18, they gave me the stuff, but I'd already seen it. So it's like... (laughs) (laughs) You had to feign surprise. Like, oh, you know, but... (laughs) But yeah, my mom is really into genealogy and she's really like, she's done her whole family tree and she decided to help me with mine. And she's dug into my ancestors, like using ancestry.com. And she's provided me with like this whole like book of just stuff that she's found. 
Oh, and she's wow. actually, she's found pictures of my biological grandfather and my biological mother from high school and like oh. all this information, my biological grandfather's obituary and just a lot of information that she's pulled would I really appreciate. I think that that's so nice that she would do that. Oh, that's me. so neat. That's really, it's kind of rare, actually. I think it's really neat. Yeah. And what your brother, like, how's he doing with everything and his adoption? And does he search or did he have the same information given to him? That kind of thing. He really has not, like, it's something that he's just not really interested in searching or yeah. suing, like, He's just living his life how it is, you know, like he's yeah. not really like doesn't have that drive to really know as much as I did about his that background. Is, does he have kids? My brother? Yeah. No, he doesn't. It's he, that seems to always be the yeah. impetus for men that mm-hmm. we've interviewed that having their for having a child then spurs them to want to know more about themselves. Were you close growing up, you and your brother? Yeah, we were. We we're only a year and a half apart, so we would play together all the time and just like we go on family vacations all the time, like road trips around the United States. And like him and I would just, you know, Aww. make up songs in the back of the car. And like, <laughs> we're just very silly. We're, we're both very musical, which my mom is, my dad is also a singer and I'm a singer and a, I'm songwriter. And we just all really had, you know, that in common as a family and my brother and I like really embraced that. We both were in piano lessons. We both, we like to sing and make up, as I said, make up songs together and oh. imagine like we used to play this game called Bud. I'd be like, Hey, Bud. He's like, Hey, Bud. I'm like, what you doing, <laughs> Bud? I don't know, Bud. Like, <laughs> just like silly things. <laughs> I, so love, that, I mean, it I sounds like you had a pretty a good family life growing up. Did you, and, but yet felt the need to seek as we all most. Seven. Yeah, we were very fortunate growing up. We traveled a lot. We got to see a lot of the world. And instead of our parents giving us like material things, they would take us on trips. We'd go to different places, like educational places like Gettysburg. And we went to London as a family. And my dad traveled a lot for his job. So we would just go with him. Like even as like babies, there's pictures of me here in California on the beach with my mom, like holding me and my brother. She's holding my brother's hand and we're on the beach in Santa Barbara. Yeah, we really got to see a lot of the world at a young age. So I'm fortunate for that. Oh, yeah. You had a great family and that's it's huge. And I like that they're supportive about your I mean, they're open about your story and they're open about your adoption and helping you find your roots. And I mean, that's actually I think that's so healing. Were they aware of the circumstances of your mother's concept, your birth mother's conception? Were your parents aware of that or did that was that an unknown until you spoke to her? Well, apparently she said that she didn't, she told the agency that she didn't know who the father was, but the caseworker kind of felt like, yes, she might've known who it was. She was just kind of saying that she didn't know who it was. I think that they knew that to the extent of what it is like that, you know, it was not consensual. I don't think that that was known at the time, but that's hard for her at her young age. It's big Mm -hmm. stuff. Very yeah. layered. And I mean, I imagine layered for you when, as your mom is doing the family tree, there's nobody from your biological father's side that she's found so far. No, it's mostly just on my biological mother's side. And it, it helps because, you know, she already has like information from that side. It's just like, it's absolutely like, there's no information on my biological father's side. There's none. We don't even have a name. We, it's hard to even search when you have like no name. 
like she, I think she said that his name was like John or something, but I mean, it's like, come on, like. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and even, it, even yeah. in those weird distant matches on, that's how I ended up tracking. Cause I didn't, you know, my birth mother was adopted. So that was kind of a dead end until, and I would, anybody I match with that wasn't already a match from my biological father's side, I would reach out and they're like, do you know so-and-so? No, no, no. But there were matches. I just couldn't figure it out. It took me a long time. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back in there and really look. I've talked to some people here and there who have been like six cousins, you know, like. <laughs> uh, those are That's hard to track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we shared a great, 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 you know. <laughs> if you start digging in, it's, it's, we've just recently been digging in more. There's stuff that pops up like randomly where you might get close because there's probably mm-hmm. some cousin, there's got to be somebody on his side that's gone on ancestry that's closer than, you know, like in the first or second cousin realm right. i would think probability but you never know maybe not yeah, yeah there's a lot that you can like you have to go back way back sometimes to find that information and yeah yeah i would say that i know my mom she's a great detective herself for going back in there and like just finding all the things that she has found it's pretty amazing yeah. like, even photos photos of my biological grandfather oh like that's amazing that is from amazing. were they in michigan was he in michigan mm-hmm so crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. He's actually, yeah, he was adopted and he's actually half black, half Portuguese. He was a very oh. handsome man. He oh, has I like eyes and like sandy hair. He's just very handsome. <laughs> this, was, this was your biological grandfather? Yes. Are they, is he still with your grandmother? No, he passed away and I can't remember when, but yeah, he passed away and and so is everyone, you're not friends with them on Facebook anymore, or it's just pretty dormant? I'm not friends with anyone on Facebook. I did reach huh. out. I reached out last year to my grandmother, just Facebook messaged her, didn't hear anything back. So, you know, that makes me sad. She just really seems like a very loving and wonderful person. And it was weird because when I was living in Michigan, before I moved here to Los Angeles, I was actually working in Farmington Hills, which is where my fam- my biological family lives. So it's like, I'm right here, so close, but yet so far, you know? Maybe it's, it'll just take more time and it'll come around eventually. I hope so. I really I hope do. so too. Me too. Yeah. But in the meantime, I admire the way you handle it and your strength and God. resilience and... Adoptees are resilient, aren't we? Resilient people, it would seem. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We have to be, you know? Yeah. It's like heavy yeah. stuff. Deep, it is. heavy it, stuff. It's deep, heavy stuff, for sure. Which is sometimes really hard to explain to people that haven't been through it. Mm-hmm. I had a situation yesterday where somebody said to me, somebody I know who said she knew somebody adopted and they were having some problems, you know, with the adoption. He was an older boy or whatever. And then they found his biological mom and things were messed up there. And he's better now because he knows how lucky he is on this. And I was thinking, well, right now he is, but that's never really going to like inside. He's got, he's going to have stuff for a long time. I mean, life. So, but I couldn't even explain that. You know how it's like, you can't get into that conversation. It's always because- that word that, that lucky, lucky, lucky. It's just, oh. it's, and- I know it just drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're so lucky. It's like, oh, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we've said this often on the podcast and Nancy Verrier said it in her book and 
adoptees are the only trauma victims that are expected to be grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like one of those things that like every day you know that, like you, you feel that like I'm adopted on a day that goes by that I don't know that, you know, yeah. it's one of those things that you just can't put out of your mind. Yeah. Like it's, it's always going to be there. That's a fact, you know, not to say that it's one of those things that you can, you, you should dwell on like, Oh, I'm adopted. But at the same time, it's like, it's part of who you are. It's part of your mm-hmm. identity. And it's exactly. always going to be there. Always. Yeah. Well, you're just a wonderful guest and person. We're so excited to know you. I feel like we have a new friend anyway, through all our, <laughs> our, last, our, our shared experiences. <laughs> that's our shared experiences. Yes. yes. <laughs> our, that's our little inside joke. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us and keep us posted on if anything changes. I would love to, yes, please. to know what's going on and I when I'm next will. time I'm in LA, maybe we can all meet I up. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. We would, would love to great. see you. Yeah. Meet up, for, meet up for lunch or coffee or something. Definitely. Yes, for sure. Oh, we'd love it. Okay. Well, and thanks again thank for coming. You. Thank you for having me. You guys are great. And Talk thank to, you. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Rachel, she's just, God, I'm so happy we met her. And what a story. She's just such a neat person. So resilient and handled like knowing her origin story and the, and the trauma of her origin story and the way that she has handled with maturity and grace. I really admire her. It's a good word. Feels like the kind of person that's just going to always be okay in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I feel just this, well, from the minute we met her, there's just this great vibe from her. She's yeah. just really resilient and strong. And even that she helped autistic children. And yeah. And I was thinking about, you know, the trauma with her birth mother also maybe in pregnancy because you're going through that. I mean, she didn't have it. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing that we don't investigate or scientifically, but she was born into trauma and then has had a wonderful, but has such a good attitude about it. I know. It's hard that second rejection. Yeah. Big. And to have had them close to her and then to reject, it's like, ah. I also really love like this little scrappy 13 year old going down (laughs) into the basement. You know, (laughs) I think you or I would have done that too. Had we known that there were totally, (laughs) you know what I was thinking during the interview? Like, I would love to have a statistic on. PIs and how what oh percentage of them gosh. are adopted. <laughs> we should put out some poll. I, I agree. <laughs> my brother so... used to say he had my papers, you know, when he babysit me. I have your and I used to think, where are those papers? I used to look through drawers. <laughs> I never found any. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, God. She's so cute. Well, right. Louise. Another great episode. Another great episode. <laughs> See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time. Thank you.